Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast exploring the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and change makers. It's been a few years since I've thought about teams, but today's guest opened the floodgates while simultaneously dismantling biases and explaining past negative experiences. Paul Crosby is one of the founders and the CEO of the Uncommon League, a training company that teaches people in unexpected ways to think, work, and learn differently. He's also an author who's written several books on topics ranging from business analysis to positive conflict. In this conversation, Paul shares his curiosity about teams and how they work through friction, conflict, and collaboration. He also talks about the Uncommon League, how the name came about, and why they don't settle for boring. We also touch on the importance of failure in growing in your life and work, how doubt is a natural component of the human experience, and the process he uses to write his books. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 724. Well, Paul, welcome to Getting Work to Work. I am very excited to talk with you today. There are so many things running through my brain, but let's start with hello. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, I ask everyone this question right out of the gate, but it's what are you endlessly curious about? I think for me, I have always been just very curious about teams and how they perform. Because I, I've throughout my career, I've had like, you know, two teams and similar skill sets, similar experiences. And one team just blows it away. And another team just kind of is like, didn't quite get there, right? Yeah. And it's always been fascinating to me to understand how those teams, why one fails and one worked so well. Um, and so I've been really kind of, you know, interested in that and, and looking at this whole concept of design collaboration in a team and handling conflict in a team um, and a lot of good stuff around that. I love that you're endlessly curious about teams because from the outside looking in, a team can be, as you're saying, amazing or want want. And then from the inside, they can also create lasting trauma on workers because of those experiences, either good or bad, where you're like, I never want to work on the team again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We all have that list of people that we never want to work with again. Um, yeah. that That's like, I, I know that's a terrible thing to say, but you know, it, it was just a horribly bad experience, right? And you, you just felt like you weren't heard, you weren't um, respected, you weren't contributing, able to contribute into the final design solution and and being able to solve the problem and, and get that value out of it. And so you just kind of kind of write it off. And, you know, I've been there, I've, I've done this and, you know, I've been in the, these teams where, you know, I, I walked away and I, it was just, it was so horrible because it was like, we weren't getting anything done. It was just one disaster after another. And, you know, it, it continued to, to spark my interest in, in to not only because I was a project manager and because I was a, a leader um, and a director of a project management office and all that fun stuff. It, it was really more about me trying to figure out how I can be better at interacting and working with people to achieve a goal or a problem solving. Wow. I love that reframe though, because again, it's this, you know what, how do I work with others? I love that. What what have you learned about yourself that enables you to put the ego aside so that you can bring out the genius of others? I think when I when I first started into leading and and um, really managing people and projects and that sort of thing, I was pretty hell bent on a driver. I mean, you know, boom boom, <laughs> let's go, let's go, push 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 push, <laughs> yeah. and you know, who wants to work for a boss like that, right? And and so it, it just kind of left kind of a bad feeling. And I and I I saw that and and I got feedback that, you know, hey, listen, you you're great. You you're really you got it, but you're pushing way too hard on it. And you know, it's it sort of just kind of getting into a more 
flow of the situation and kind of understanding how to best approach people, especially when it comes to design. And that, that's where kind of uh, positive conflict comes in is it really focuses on design is, is understanding that you have a group of people and this group of people has different perspectives. We all have different perspectives or POV, as I call it. Uh, point of view for for us all because we're unique human beings we all have different experiences different ways that we look at the world and really when you you take all of those different viewpoints and you bring them into a, a room and you you get this sort of 360 degree around this situation uh, you you solve these things better and and you get things in a more elaborate more solid more just beautiful design out of it. And so I have a, you know, just kind of keep focusing on that piece of it and just kind of trying to get there and understanding that, hey, there's going to be friction in the team. That That's just happened. I've never been on a team where there has not been any friction. It's never happened. I mean, even for the, the church board, I mean, we're all, you know, there, there was friction, you know. <laughs> right. So it, it was same thing, right? I mean, the donut committee, you wouldn't believe the friction in the politics over, uh, you know, a donut Sunday. It's just He's ridiculous. For a cake donut. I mean, right? There. <laughs> vegan no. donut versus non vegan donut. What do we do about this gluten free thing? And what do you mean you're putting bacon on my donut? Oh, that's <laughs> I was like, no, we can create designer donuts. And they're like, nah, I just want a plain vanilla donut. But, you know, it's working with that friction and how how that friction is important. Because even though it, it's it's uncomfortable a little bit because, you know, you're getting all these different viewpoints and you're like, it's just too much. That all those viewpoints give you a better understanding of the whole. So that when you're looking at the whole in in, in this very thorough way, this complete way, holistic way, you get a, a better idea of kind of what's kind of going on so you can build that that better solution. And then from friction, you kind of move into, into this sort of uh, collaborative uh, environment. And I love the fact that, and, and this is one of the things that I've learned, is that you don't necessarily have to go after just one thing, just one decision, just one design. I think that uh, one of the things I learned from just kind of, you know, if you've ever read Thomas Edison's biography and kind of how he started up Bell Labs and when he was working on the light bulb filament, he didn't have just one team working on the light bulb filament. There were like lots of different teams and they were all coming up with different solutions, right? Because they were separate from each other and they were just tasked with, you know, make this filament work. And so they came up with, you know, a lot of dozen different ways that it could work. And they out of all of those, they picked the one that, that worked. And I think that our, our human nature is that when there's a lot of different things on the table, we just want to pick one. We're, just, we're going with that one. <laughs> right. and that's it. We're going to rock and roll. And we kind of, you know, and as a driver, push it, right? You know, and, and that sort of leads us to problems, right? Because we, we didn't really experiment. We didn't go out there and discover we really didn't go out there and figure out what are all the potential possibilities here that we can utilize. And then the last part is just the kind of the, the collaboration of the thing and kind of putting it all back together again. It's like, you know what? You can take the best of each solution that was developed and combine them in together. It's, it's I call it four houses, but it's what do I like about this solution? What do I like about this solution? What do I like about this solution? And then take the things that you like about all the solutions that you've developed and put it on a list and then focus on that list of things that you like to build your design. And I've, I found that that was more a positive of experience because it wasn't like we were competing. It wasn't like, I hate your design. Your design is stupid. You're an idiot. Da, 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 da. It wasn't that negative thing. It was, this is what I like about this design. This is what I like about this. This is the positive thing that I see about this. Mm -hmm. And then kind of incorporating all that positivity into a single design solution. I love that. Because we've all worked on teams where it's like, no, you can't take a little bit of this, a little bit of this. That's what design, that's what clients from hell do. <laughs> you yeah. know, they, they cherry pick the best stuff. Whereas you're creating a better design by taking the best. I love that approach. Yeah, definitely. Um, I have a graphics designer friend and she's hilarious. She goes, 
I know what they're going to pick, but I give them I give them all of the different options <laughs> because then they'll go through and they go, I like this, I like this, I hate this, I like this, I don't like this, blah blah blah. And she goes, it really gives me a better understanding of where they want to be. And by the end of the conversation, I've got I've got it done. I've got this drawn because I've I've had the ability to kind of interact with folks at that that level in a meaningful way, right? And you know, keeping it positive is a good thing. You do, you know, certainly don't want to be around people that are very negative about it, yeah. um, and kind of you know putting down and kind of picking apart things. So yeah, I mean, uh, it's a great thing. Positive conflict. My mind is blown. That's awesome. <laughs> you actually blew my mind to the point where I'm like a complete like mental reframe was happening when you said this, but like we've, we've all read those business books that talk about, you know, Thomas Edison didn't, you know, he found a thousand ways not to make a light bulb and you know, all yeah. those ways that we spend success and failure. I have never once heard though, that Thomas Edison had multiple teams researching and working on these problems. Oh, okay. And yet it's like, we want to bring it back to an individual, even when there's teams involved. And I love that perspective of going, no, Thomas Edison had teams. Mind blown. Oh yeah. Um, he's a pretty smart guy, a little, a little difficult to work with, but um, a lot of passion, right? And then there certainly was a, it was a lot of conflict there. And I think that, I mean, if you try and apply that in the real world today, right? If you're you're in a meeting and you suggest to your boss, "Hey, boss, let's form five different teams and we're all going to work on the same thing," your boss is going to think that you are bat crap crazy, right? Because <laughs> my dear God, would we do that? It's inefficient, right? But, it really isn't inefficient and, it, and it's not a competition either. It's the ability for teams to explore in new and meaningful ways. And, and maybe it, it means that, you know, maybe the, this group kind of works on this piece of it and this group works on that piece of it. I mean, that's certainly an approach. But to get that interaction, that point of view, they have to be able to have that moment of of playing with it in in the sandbox and building it and prototyping it and conference room table design and all this kind of fun stuff, just drawing it out on the whiteboard. Um, I know that like with my um, interface team, we go to a coffee shop and we scribble things on the back of a napkin. I mean, you know, talk about formal documentation, <laughs> but um, I love it because the conversations are real. They're meaningful. We have, you know, a lot going on and, and that's really what you're kind of looking for. Yeah. What are the problems that really stop you in your tracks that you just can't wait to start diving into with your teams? I, you know, I think the first thing that I, really want to establish with my teams is kind of getting to know them a little bit. You know, who are they? How how do they work? What's kind of their perspective? And we kind of get to know each other a little bit more. Where do you come from? And, and it, you know, I know a lot of people hate icebreakers. And it's like, if you're an introvert, there's nothing worse than having an icebreaker moment. Because as an introvert, the only thing that you are thinking about in that situation is what am I going to say that won't make me sound stupid? <laughs> you know, right? <laughs> and as an introvert, I do that too. I'm like, oh, I have to come up with something cool. I have to come up with something really <laughs> exciting. Yeah. And um, just kind of get to know them a little bit and kind of get in there. And I also like to establish kind of, you know, this is how the, 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 the positive conflict model works. This is, you know, we're going to go through this and we're going to do this and we're going to do this. And we're going to kind of look at it from this perspective. So they kind of get the lay of the land and they understand kind of my philosophy and where I'm kind of going. And then we, we we sit down and we establish a clear-cut goal. It's, you know, we work together on that. This is the goal. This is what we want to see when we get done and we're, we're out of here. And it, it, I want to see, you know, something tangible, right? I, I don't want to see something esoteric or philosophy or theory. I, that's not going to help me at all. I, I want to see what it is, that, that this tangible thing that we're trying to achieve. And then you know, just work the pro, you know, work through the the positive conflict model, and just kind of, you know, under, understand what we need to do there. And I think that that's the best way to approach it, because you start from a place of building a relationship, and you start from a place of understanding each other and understanding each other's perspectives. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to work this on um, a public program, a government program. 
because there are so many different perspectives in the community. And just being able to sit there and kind of experience this with folks from a vast variety of backgrounds and to see their points of view was just enlightening. It was just huge because you began to understand all of the, the, the nuances of it and the different pieces of it and how they all kind of fit together and how people were sort of looking at each other is another big, big part of that. But I love it. it. It's a lot of fun. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it's almost like if you know your team and you all trust each other, the problem doesn't matter that you're tackling. It's that relationship that matters most. Oh, yeah. 100%. I mean, we're human beings. We're social animals, right? And the relationships are important to us. We want to get along. I mean, that that's a driving force. It can be a good force and it can be a bad force. Um, there are times where we just want to get along. So we have preference falsification, we, which is a bias. And we say that we, we like something or that we're okay with something, but it is in fact not what we really truly believe. And I, I love the story of um, East Berlin. It was two weeks before the, the Berlin Wall fell. They did a survey. They asked people, hey, are you a communist and every single uh, socialist? And every single person said, yes, absolutely no problem. The wall come to, came down. Two weeks later, they did the same survey and there were they, people just looked at them like there were no communists here. <laughs> there were no, nobody. There was, what are you talking about? You're crazy. We've never been communist here. And so it, it's, um, you know, it's that preference falsification. And we want to be able to, to kind of be aware of that when we're in our team, um, you know, that people aren't just saying things to get along and, and to create this environment where it's okay to disagree yeah. and, and, and be able to have that conversation and get to a common ground. Yeah. One of the things that as I was, learning more about you that really just kind of stopped me in my tracks. Apparently you're stopping me in my tracks a lot. <laughs> the Uncommon League. I mean, once yeah. I saw the name, the Uncommon League, I'm like, I have to talk to this guy because the fact that you're chasing the Uncommon is like, yes. So what is the Uncommon League? The Uncommon League, we're, we're a training company. So we do business analyst uh, training in business analysis. We do product management training. We do conflict management and um, positive conflict is one of the courses that we're, we're now developing a little bit more intensely. Um, and we do a lot of, of, of helping people uh, step it up in their career, get to the next level in, in their career. And that, that's what we're really passionate about. And we're also passionate about doing it a little bit differently. Because in 2013, we were one of the first training companies that did all virtual training. Oh, wow. That was us. And there was no thing that we could sort of, you know, mold ourselves to. It was us. We, we were doing that uh, very frequently. I remember it was just hilarious trying to get WebEx to work and <laughs> all this. And then do we do Zoom or do we do WebEx or do we do this? And, you know, there's all these weird things that were happening at that time. And, you know, how do we get materials to people? And how do you get a book? And how do you engage people? And we're having all of these conversations. But we totally broke the rules. And we also did the same thing with our in-person workshops. We said, you know what? We're using Play-Doh and Legos and pipe cleaners, and we're going to talk about what product management is. We're going to build this thing, and we're going to do this, and we're going to have these hands-on exercises. And at the time, the industry was very much focused on certification. We'll give you the training that you need in order to pass a test. Great. I'm all for certification. I have lots of them. But I think that when you're trying to take your career up a notch. Certification is one step, but the next step is that practical real-world approach, right? How do I take this, this theory that I have and bump it up to the next level to help me move my career along effectively? Um, and so that was that's another thing that has kind of made us in common. How the In Common League started actually is in 2013, we were called Bob the BA, um, which was kind of like Bob the Builder, right? It was, you know, tongue-in-cheek, very funny um, way of looking at it. And we did it. Even the logo itself kind of had that sort of feeling to it. And we evolved, right? I mean, yeah, we were very business analyst focused. 
um, it, at the beginning, but then we kind of expanded out. And that's why we changed our name to the Uncommon League, is we started to have more instructors. We started to have more um, courses on, on lots of different topics. I remember the conversation about the name because that was one of the things that we had. We had a big meeting and we were just we were just hashing through all these names and we're just like, I don't want to be common. I want to stand out. And then we're like, well, the Uncommon League. <laughs> and it was just like this, oh, duh moment. And bam, there it was. A company was formed, uh, you know, 10 years ago. And bam, there we go. And it, it's been a, a fun ride ever since. Yeah. How do people respond when they hear that name? I, it's interesting because I don't think they, they, they sort of hear the name and they're like, bowling team you know they just <laughs> kind of get, <laughs> there's just that moment right where they're just like oh i don't know what does the uncommon league do and and then we we talk about who we are and you know and and actually it's a great conversation starter because the name is so different that we i have a lot of conversations around the the uncommon league name and what it stands for and all that good stuff so it's a way of opening up and building relationships of course yeah. through that discussion such a brilliant way of sparking those conversations too, because I think we want to be when we're creating a business name, you know, oftentimes it's, we make them as generic as possible. Oh yeah. Raising my hand here. And yet when we can leave room for mystery and, and curiosity, it just, it, especially if that's what you're wanting to like develop in people is this ability to think and act. Yeah, and that's our slogan: think, work, learn differently. Yeah, and that—that's really what it is about. Is it's not about teaching you just stuff, facts, and and that. It's it's we want to help you learn to think differently, because every industry is different, every company is different, and it's that flexibility and adaptability of being able to think a little bit differently kind of learn a little bit more interactively and and kind of then take it to that work level and being productive utilizing both of those uh attributes it it just kind of gets the ball rolling and and uh we've had um, so many wonderful students that have gone through our, our course and um we're so proud of their careers and and all the good stuff that they've done and um it it's just been i i find it extremely rewarding i love it um, just to have this ability to help someone grow, help someone become something more than what they are, um, is incredible. And, you know, we have people who have taken our courses that have gone on to open their own businesses. And I'm thrilled yeah. that they've done that. I mean, because, you know, that was pretty <laughs> risky for me. That was pretty fear. That was a big fear of mine was opening my own business. I was like, Oh, but I won't have a safety net. I won't have, you know, the company won't be there to pay the insurance and, da, 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 and what am I going to do? And how it's, you know, and so there was a lot of that and, and just um, being able to work through that and kind of getting it and, and seeing other people get through it and, and develop them into their own magnificent careers that they've had. is just amazing. So when you're in that moment, when you're like, I, I don't know about starting my own business and, and you're faced with those fears, how did you think differently in that moment to then launch the company? You know what? We, we sat down and it was Bob and I, we were the original founders, and we sat down and we're having, you know, I, I, I was like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can do this financially. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And we, we got to the point where it's, it's like, okay, well, let, let's talk to somebody who's done this. Mm. Let's just go out there and, you know, we'll find out who this person this person is and we'll chat and see what what they've done and so we talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and i think that's kind of that helped allay some of my fears kind of bring my fear down just a little bit and then um we were at the kitchen table and um we're having well a couple of glasses of wine and <laughs> we're just like what's the worst case i mean what is the absolute worst thing that would happen if we do this and, you know, we listed the things down and we're like, that isn't that bad. <laughs> we could recover from that. You know, we just, I could go back to work. You know, I got, got 
a resume full of director positions, I could easily get another. And, you know, Bob had director and and uh, leadership positions as well, and so it, it didn't have to to be that fearful experience. And and I think that was the the thing that that was difficult for me to overcome because I had always been in that world where there was always a safety blanket, right? Yeah. Then when I started got out on my own, it was like, well, wait a minute, I don't. I have more autonomy. I have more creativity. I have more energy. I have more passion. And I was like, why was I ever working in corporate America? (laughs) (laughs) Why was I there? This just wasn't my gig. Um, And so, yeah, it it all worked out really well. When you launch your business, was it a clean break from those views that you attained in corporate America? Or was there a process of shedding those things that don't really serve you as an entrepreneur? Oh yeah. There, there was a lot of, there was a lot of shedding, you know, because it's you, you're the brand, you're the business. And so there was a lot of things I had to learn, um, marketing, sales, financial systems, taxes, logistics, licensing, regulatory, uh, passing all the certification stuff. And um, it just, the, the, it was an ever learning experience for me. It was a lot to learn. And it was sort of like, you know, here's the fire hose, full blast, <laughs> go for it. And it was probably scary. And now I look back at it and I'm like, eh, okay, that, that happened. You know, no big deal. I survived. And for everything that I have learned from opening my business about, you know, all of these different aspects of it, I mean, things that I never had to worry about. I, you know, I was over a, a director of a project management office. I never had to worry about marketing. I never had to worry about sales. I never had to worry about income taxes and payroll and all this kind of stuff. Um, I was just focused on my little world. And then suddenly my little world became bigger. It was like an explosion. And I have a, a business degree, but you know, I never used it until you know at the point where I was opening my my eyes to see the bigger world and my own business. And then it was like, ah, here it is. I get it. And so it's, it was this moment of explosion where your teeny tiny little world is now much bigger and you can't really have a command of detail at all of these different levels. I mean, I have salespeople. Do I know exactly what they do? No. And I got, Tax people, thank God for Mary. <laughs> yeah, I'm just saying, uh, ex IRS employee, thank you, government, for training her. And she does a great job. Do I know anything about corporate income tax? Oh, no, I, I don't want to know. <laughs> just, <laughs> I don't want to know. Just tell me who I write the check to, and I'll be fine. But you know, you have to f- build this team around you, these experts around you that they kind of know, you know, marketing and SEO and sales and finances and accounting and all that kind of good stuff. Things that I didn't normally have to work with. Um, and there was a moment where you know the world exploded, right? And then it was sort of like it was pressing down, and I had to think to myself that. I don't need to know how to do this. I don't need to be the expert in all of these areas. I can find somebody that's an expert in those areas and bring them in so that I can continue to be creative, inventive, innovative, kind of, and move the business into these, you know, uh, crazy directions that, that we've, we've done. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the toughest lesson. Yeah. That was a tough one. Well, I think that trust learning to let go and trust other people, I imagine as a founder, was challenging. Well, you're investing money, right? I mean, a couple hundred thousand dollars into the business. And, you know, that that was a nail biter for me. <laughs> That's a lot of money. Yeah. And, you know, and you, you certainly want to do everything that you can to to make sure of that. And letting go was was hard because of that. Because it was this, oh my God, this is my capital. This is this is my money that, that this is here, right? I was always dealing with other people's money. And so it, it wasn't quite the same. I was very careful with their money, obviously. But when it's your own money, you're like a billion times more careful, right? And so it was it was sort of that moment of, okay, I have to just kind of let it let it go, let let this happen and let let the experts do what they need to do. 
I'm intrigued by something you said, Paul, that at a certain point, the world blew up and you had to see the bigger picture and learn to let go and all those things. It's one thing to have a vision when, you know, you're sitting at your kitchen table with, you know, with Bob and you're drinking a couple glasses of wine. The vision is one thing. When the world explodes, how does your vision shift and change at that point? Does it get even bigger at that point or does it just change to something else? For for us, it got bigger. We started off in as a niche training company. That's we just did business analysis, that was it. And we taught I don't know, over a thousand analysts. And then we started to see this um, trend toward um, Scrum and Agile and, and that sort of world. And, and how does this whole thing work together? And so the, that sort of pulled us off into um, a new market. But I can tell you that there have been many times that we've been pulled in one direction or another, and we try it. I mean... Yeah. The, the fearlessness is is kind of you know prototype it a little sandboxing a little little demo a little try it out and see what happens yeah. and you know what not all of the things that that we expanded into we were successful at total transparency and honesty we failed pretty miserably in a couple of them and but we learned from that and and I think that was the most important thing and it was also the the basis of my book fail fast fail safe is you you gotta you gotta have this 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 moment of failure, right? And it's hard to take that, you know, because you were so sure that you were going to be there and that you were going to to make it successful. But okay, things didn't work out and the market changed and things kind of went wishy-washy there. But that's okay. You learn from it and you can take those learnings and bring that back into creating the next thing. So the next product that you create, you can take what you've learned from before that and fail that and take those and put it into your new product so you don't fail again. Failure is one of those topics that I think I don't think anyone really likes to think about or experience. And yeah. yet it's so essential to growth. What oh, what's yeah. what's something from your from your experience and from being an author, you know, what's something about failure that people misunderstand? I think people misunderstand that it is a point for reflection. So think about it in terms of Jacob's learning theory, um, is that in order for you to learn something, you have to have that concrete experience with it, and then you have to reflect on it. And that reflection in turn is, is help, what helps you to, to learn and master something, right? So if you think about this in terms of just really something very basic of walking, right? So when we, we all, as human beings, started walking, we failed a lot. <laughs> Boom. There was, there was a lot of falling. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> nice icy sidewalk. I'm on my you know, face plant in the snow. But, um, you know, you, you have those, those moments. And, and as you, you learn your physiocomotor skills of getting into how this is, I put one foot in front of the other, and this is how I move forward, you, you get into a more better place and you become more comfortable with walking. But initially, you're just like falling all over. Or riding a bike, same thing. You, I didn't, you know, when I got into a bike, it was like I was a bloody mess, right? Because I was just couldn't steer. I was just driving into things and falling off and all that good stuff. But you learn over time from those failures and how to adapt and, and kind of work for them, like water skiing. How I learned to water ski. Did I do it right the first time? No. <laughs> I took a lot of face plants in the lake before I, I figured out how to balance myself and position myself so that I could do that. And it's our culture that sort of says, if you fail, that's bad. You're a horrible person because you failed. You're a loser. You're an idiot. You're awful because you failed. And what society and our culture doesn't recognize is the fact that those failures are, are something that you can learn from, that you don't have to just be beaten down with it. You can take it and take it to the next level and learn from, from that perspective. The, the trick with that is, is not to overanalyze the failure. It's you don't go into the brain drain circle around forever, right? You know, and keep beating yourself up and over. Figure out that just, you know, 
take a couple minutes and 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 kind of do a little retrospective, if you will, or kind of a, a, a look back and look at maybe some two, three things that you could could really have done differently that would make that situation better. Yeah. And just write them down and then kind of, and the next time you go into it, kind of keep those in mind. I love that. I think sometimes too, I will only speak for myself on this one. Sometimes I don't push myself hard enough to fail because I'm afraid to fail. Or I just, I don't want to have to think about <laughs> that there might be a oh, chance yeah. that I could fail. And so I create this false level of security and stagnation occurs. It's really interesting. Yeah, because if you don't fail, you're not growing. Yeah. You're not going to that next level because you haven't failed. Right. And you're not not climbing up the ladder a little bit. Yeah, 100%. And I, you know, back to the cultural thing is is that it's so ingrained into us that that we want to never fail. We always want to be seen as perfect. And I, I think that was one of the things that I learned when I came out of corporate America was politically, you never failed. You you never did because you know that would be the end of your career. You know, you'd be marched out the door, no problem. And so that it created this belief that we have to have a facade of perfection. But in reality, the fact that we were, were not willing to step back and learn from our failure, we never really advanced. And this was so true of in my early career when I had um, several teams that were doing software development projects. And, you know, and my boss was just, oh my God, they'd haul us into a conference room and it was just berating, you know, down, wow, this, it was just bad. Yeah. And, I didn't see where that actually did any good. I mean, when I looked around the room, did that that motivate people? No. Well, it motivated them to find another job, but <laughs> yeah. it didn't motivate them to work better in the in the team. And so, you know, and, and sort of the agile philosophy has kind of come up through that as well. And why agile embraces that fail fast, fail safe, fail often sort of approach is because that failure is important and, and your team does learn. And you have to give your team the the room to do it. And, you know, I think my biggest accomplishment was, and, uh, you know, I had this conversation with my manager and um, I was managing a group of project managers. And I said, I have to let them fail. And she said, but why, Paul? You could just get in there and you could just, you could, you could do this and coach and mentor. I said, but they won't learn they won't be able to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. They will always rely on me to come in there and, and fix the little things that they, they they never you know thought about. And even when I was leading um, the IIBA Minneapolis-St. Paul chapter, and I was exiting from the president role, this was a conversation that I had with the new president that was coming in. I said, you know what? I have to let you fail. And she just gave me a look like, what? What do you mean you have to let me fail? Right. Sounds, I, and think about it. It sounds terrible, right? Because you're like, oh my God, you don't care. You you want to destroy me. You you don't think I'm a, a good president, blah, blah, blah. And then it was none of that. It was like, you have to have these failures and these experiences in order to, to grow. And we, we kind of talked about that. And, and, you know, when I was leading the chapter, we multiple award-winning chapter of the year, most innovative chapter, um, biggest, one of the largest chapters in North America at the time. And she, she was so afraid of, of this. And I said, listen, it's, it's a big role and you are going to fail. You are going to make mistakes. The only thing that, that you really need to do there is, is to kind of learn from them and to show people that you've learned from them to say, hey, listen, this didn't go so well. This is what I learned. What did you learn? And kind of come together on that and, and continue to rebuild the relationship on what we've learned and on, on what the positive thing is, as opposed to we beat each other down all the time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Huh. And, and and just kind of do that. And, and she was a great president. She did a great job. And um, I, I just said that was probably a very good key piece of advice that she had to lead an organization. Yeah. So, you know, failure is kind of that two-edged sword. It is, yeah. I really appreciate the conversation around it, though, because I think 
failure, fear of failure makes a lot of sense in a culture where you're teaching to the test and you're, you have to do the best that you can because your entire future to some degree is dependent upon that test score. Yeah. And yet I really, you know, I, I'm doing a lot of learning just that's not attached to the computer. So I'm learning how to work with my hands. And so mm-hmm. failure absolutely <laughs> enters the picture because, you know, you have to learn those muscle skills that you don't have. Yeah. And so I just, I really appreciate this conversation around failure because I don't think we spend enough time failing. And I just thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, there are times where you don't want to fail, you know, landing a plane, yeah. an elevator, <laughs> these sort of things. Surgery. But, you know, surgery, right? And so that's where fail, fail safe comes into yeah. play. You know, that you know that you're going to have to fail and you know that it's, the failure is there. What you want is a, is, is a nice, soft, cushy landing, right? And, and that's the other piece of this is that failing safe, right? You know that you're going to fail and you might fail in a, in a particular area, but then how do you, you find this spot ahead of time, right? So that you know that it may not work out, but there's still a soft landing and you can still learn and it's not quite as painful. Um, and I, I think that is true of any, any, anything, whether you're developing software or you're building a cabinet, it's still the same thing, right? You're going to find a place where you can kind of, you know, land. And it's it's managing that risk a little bit mm-hmm. and, and kind of giving yourself the opportunity to fail, but keep it in, in a low risk type of situation. So you mentioned you've written a book and you sounds like you've written several. Uh, quite a few. <laughs> yeah. When, when did you, did, like, did you know you were always going to be a book author or was that one of those happy surprises as you went about your work? I, my business partner challenged me. Just said, you know what? I'm writing a book. I want you to write a book too. And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm really not an author. I don't blah, blah, blah. <laughs> And, you know, so it was like, you know, Bob wrote Little Slices of Big Truth. And I was the editor on that book. So I did a lot of, you know, so I was back there trying to, you know, I saw all the kind of how the pieces were. And then um, when I did my first book, um, Fail Fast, Fail Safe, I had a little bit of, a, of, a, of experience with it. I had some sort of knowledge about what writing a book was. And, you know, growing up, I never thought of myself as a writer. And I certainly, I mean, if I were to, to like go back in time to my high school self, I probably said maybe five to 10 words in high school for the entire year. I mean, I was super, super introverted. And now I have a career where I'm expected to do keynotes in front of thousands of people and write books and talk about these things and have, you know, this, these, these conversations. And I can't believe I made it that far. You know, I'm a completely different person over the years. Yeah. Um, and, and, the, and I think that's true of everyone. If you look back, you've, you've grown. And, and sometimes that reflection of going back and looking about where you've grown is a good thing, right? Because you can go, hey, wait a minute. I don't have to be stagnant. I can, I can grow. I've done it all my life. I can continue to do it. You know, age is not, a, you know, especially as I near the senior citizen discount age, it gets into this focus of like, you know, I, I can't do anymore. I can't go any further. And you know what? It's it's bull. It's yeah. total bull. And and just to kind of keep moving and, and doing what you're doing and growing. And and that's really what a good part of life is about. What's your most recent book that you just wrapped up? Um, I just wrapped up Positive Conflict. Um, that was the one that we just released. That's the one we were talking about in the, the green room there was the box was too small and didn't fit the book. And then the shipping department was like, how do I get the book in the box and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's these, these yeah. odd problems that I now have to do. But yeah, I just wrapped that up. Um, it's a great book. It's, it's talking about the positive conflict model. Um, it talks about how you innately approach conflict. And then it talks about how people generally, the roles that they play in conflict and then understanding those two pieces and then brings you into the uh, collaborative conflict model where you're looking at friction, collaboration, and consolidation and bring it all back together. Um, and um, I had a lot of fun on that book. That was, that was uh, I did a keynote on it for quite a few years, so it was fun. Yeah. Um, it was originally titled Tango with a Bear. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
But the, the guys were like, uh, the marketing people were like, yeah, we need simple, easy title. <laughs> That's meaningful. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And then, you know, I've got, uh, wrote the Uncommon Book of Techniques for analysis. That's um, also available. And then we have Fail Fast, Fail Safe is my first book. And I edited Little Slices of Big Truths. Um, and I've got two more in the hopper um, that people are asking me to write, uh, kind of demanding that I write. Um, you know, the, the the I think the one that I'm the most passionate about right at this point is, is the, the nine perspectives of analysis, which is like... <sighs> Boy, does that sound collegiate, lofty, professor-type stuff. But, well, we'll come up with a better title than that. But, yeah, it's, it's just talking about the different perspectives of analysis and how you can look at it from context to scope to data to process to people to, you know, technology, all that kind of good stuff and the different lenses that it can take. Um, so, yeah, I, did I consider myself a writer? I, I still don't. I still don't consider myself a writer. Um, even though I've written all these books and I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of getting there and, and kind of having fun with it. So people are buying them and I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm very humbled and grateful that, that folks are doing that. Um, and I just never, ever had that, uh, I don't know, confidence a little bit. I still have that, that moment of, you know, am I really good enough? And I still have that when I'm running my business, am I really a good CEO? I have doubts and I have, you know, the writing thing and the teaching thing and the keynote thing is all kind of the same thing. I just have this kind of like moment of, of reflecting and like, am I good enough? Am I really there? And I have to look at that and take that as fuel and, and say, well, wait a minute, look at what you've accomplished. Look what you've done so far. Yeah. You've got doubts about these areas. Well, God darn it, go out there and do it you know go be what you want to be and if you fail you fail but you've done what you wanted to do and that makes all the difference i appreciate you being open about that too because when when people look on the outside you know from the outside at other people oh he's ceo author he's got his stuff together but yet i just appreciate that you have probably as many doubts as the rest of us <laughs> I am a human being. Yes. <laughs> Not an AI chatbot. No, I'm a, I'm a human being with feelings. And I think it's perfectly natural to have those. I think I think that's just part of being a human being and, and just kind of working is that you're going to have doubts about it. It's the imposter syndrome, right? Am I really as good as I, I, I you know, people see me as? And so, um, yeah, it's something to keep in mind and, and kind of work through. And I, I think in a way it kind of drives me like, I I feel that there's a a, a pressure uh, to kind of live up to the way that that I think people think of me, right? Um, and kind of get that, you know. I, I think what is that saying? Um, I want to be the person that my dog thinks I am. <laughs> 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 it's sort of that. <laughs> yes, I love that. <laughs> so when you're writing, do you? just naturally carve time or do you have to fight to find the time to write? I, I initially it's fighting to get the time and then I get in sort of the bubble. And when I'm in the bubble and I'm in my own little world, the little bubble boy typing away and his, and his book, I'm super productive, but I'm myopic. And so I'm, I'm just really like, clicking things off and just getting it done. And um, it's when the bubble pops a little bit and then I start letting other folks to kind of come in and give their perspectives that things expand a little bit. Um, and that's kind of the way that I work. Um, I mean, for me, how I start my writing is it starts with a conversation. Some of the uh, the the, uh, the bias of analysis is there's another book someone wants me to write, and I kind of have it all outlined. But that started off with a conversation with um, a woman who was from the Ukraine, and she was talking about the war, and she was talking about all of these these things, and we were talking about um, the conflict and positive conflict, and we we're talking about different forms of analysis and all that good stuff. And, you know, that led to another conversation that um, happened in the, the same conference center about, you know, these different things. And it, it just, it sparked an idea 
from this conversation. And then that idea grows into, usually it grows into some sort of symposium or a keynote of mine. And, and then I present it to an audience. And if the audience comes back and starts asking a lot of questions, then I know it's a worthwhile topic. That's cool. Because they're engaged with it, right? If they didn't ask any questions, I would be mortified. I mean, literally, because I, you know, I hate that when you present something and nobody says anything is the worst. Because you're like, (laughs) did they even pay any attention or did they find it of any value whatsoever? (laughs) You know, so you wind up doing crazy things. Um, But you know, you need to get that feedback, and then from from there, doing that presentation, that symposium, that keynote, and kind of presenting it publicly, I then can take it, and then I start outlining the book and just figuring out. This is, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this. And then, and having it in a symposium or in a keynote presentation, that gives me the flow of the book. It helps me understand how to flow and get it from point A to point B and what stories to tell and what stories not to tell. And, and just kind of gets that creative things going. And then once I get into that and the outlines there, it's just hammering it out. It's just bam, 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 bam. I love that. That that is a unique process that I think speaks to your ability to keep writing books and getting them done because you have a clear process. Yeah, every writer has a different process. It's hilarious. <laughs> uh, I, I just a friend of mine is just like, um, the, just like I, I go on vacation and I don't think about it, and when I and when I come back, everything is all there. Wow. And I'm like, that's the weirdest thing. And I, I guess she's probably processing it all subconsciously. Right. She's giving herself the time to be able to do that. Interesting. Um, but I, I was like, oh, that's a great way of doing it. <laughs> Doesn't work for me, but you know, if it works for you, it works for you. One of the things that I've seen is that you're a, you're you're really against boring. So how do people not be boring? I think it's engaging. I think it's, you know, how do you, how do you make a class not boring? Well, we bring in Play-Doh, we bring in Legos, we bring in Duplo blocks, we bring in a thousand markers and, you know, and we, we do these, these exercises and we interact with each other. I think that is the most important. We're inquisitive. We want to, we want to know more about each other. And I think that's how you, you're not boring is, is that you, you're coming in there not as a an interrogator, but as a, as an as an honest. I want to know more about you. I want to know more about this. I want to I want to help you. I want let's work together and and kind of understand each other and build something new, something exciting, um, and making it more hands on, right? And and more interactive and more fun. And you know because if you know, and I I teach for universities. But if I ever showed up at a university with Play-Doh and pipe cleaners and tried to demonstrate certain uh, techniques and things, they would probably think that's, you know, a little gauche and inappropriate. But um, I love it because it, it's just, it's fun. It's, yeah. it, you know, when you're having fun and you have that passion and you have that joy and you have that energy that you're just getting off of folks, that's the way you get rid of boring. Right. And, and, and we love that. And even if it's having a conversation in a hallway, it's being the, uh, just being, you know, curious and, and, and sharing and, and just, you know, showing your passion and showing and understanding their passions as well. And just kind of creating this environment of energy of, of excitement um, just makes showing up for work all that much more wonderful and fulfilling. And I think, Early on in my career, I didn't have that, and I didn't even know what it was. I I did not know that you could have energy and passion in your job. A job is a job, right? I mean, that's kind of my generation. But to to have this passion and to have this wonderful experience that I have every time I do a training session, it's like, oh, it's it's, it's beautiful. I love it. I feel like you're gonna jump up out of your chair and be like. Whoa. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. My business partner, Jen, will probably be. Yeah, she's even more high energy than, than I am. Like, 
off the charts, high energy. But yeah, yeah, whip out some pom poms. That's right. (laughs) I I have been known to sing very poorly, um, dance even more poorly, um, just to kind of you know have fun, and it's okay. Have fun. Well, on that note, you've shared so much unbelievable wisdom. What bit of wisdom would you like to leave the audience with today? The biggest thing that I have learned in my life is to explore, to just to discover and to to go beyond what I think I can do and then just kind of try to 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 grow. Um, you know, I did not think I was was capable of learning how to put on a dinner party. So a friend of mine had gone to uh, Cordon Bleu in France and she said, you know what? Here's the book. Oh, wow. make, make these dinners. And I had uh, 50 dinners or so and dinner parties. And I learned how to make all, and she was there. She kind of helped me out with some of the, the recipes and you know where to find ingredients because some of the, the ingredients here are can't be found in America. So you have to substitute a little bit. But that's how I learned how to to, to cook is I... I put myself through it um did i you know fail oh yeah there's there's a lot there was there was quite a lot of things that just kind of blew up but that was okay and i learned from that and then and it was a great experience and and it was because i was kind of moving myself out of the comfort zone right because you know normally you wouldn't think like hey i'm gonna have 50 dinner parties and i'm gonna learn french cooking somebody would think that you're absolutely insane but it was it was a fun experience and I'm not afraid to try anything. I mean, I, I'm not a very good woodworker. I, I, I don't do cabinets and craftsmen and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I, I went out and I did it anyway. I went to a little workshop on, on how to build a, um, a butcher block cabinet thing. And am I a good cabinet maker? No, not really. But I learned a lot. I learned a lot about cabinet making. But you think, well, big deal, Paul. What does that have to do with your job and training? And I go, it's about how they put things together. I looked at it from like, oh, this is how they construct it. This is how this goes in this piece. And this is how this is glued and why they do it that way. You know, just being able to transfer skills back and forth is easy when you have that broad sort of experience level. And I think what happens with some people is they just get stuck in an industry and they never leave it. I think that's bad. I think that it's better to have a broader viewpoint of what's out there, right? Of all the different industries, because we're not in an economy of just bankers and we're not just in an economy of manufacturing. We're, we're, it's broad. So learning all those different things, I think, was a, was a great help to me. This has been a great conversation and I've learned so much. And is there a book, podcast, or resource that is blowing your mind right now? I have been addicted to the hidden brain podcast for quite a while i just it i've been listening to that and it's it's just been like oh okay because they're kind of talking about how your mind works and all, all that kind of stuff and then i kind of take what what he's been talking about on his show and then kind of applying it into you know all of my different uh training and things like that yeah i love that how about for you i uh no one's thrown it back at me this is this is fantastic i just have a huge stack of books and i'm i'm reading one about the engineering mindset so it, they talk about how cathedrals were made back in the day and kodachrome and um the 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 problem solving methodologies of engineering and i think it's the things we make i think i'll put the actual title in the show notes but it's a really good book Oh, that sounds cool. Yeah. That's a, definitely that engineering mindset of architecting and buildings. Yeah, that's that's huge. Paul, thank you so much for being a guest on Getting Work to Work and giving me inspiration for the best show title ever called Tango with a Bear. So with Paul Crosby. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This was such a fun conversation to record and then revisit with a lot of different areas I found to reflect upon and then explore. I particularly reveled in the section where we discussed failure. Regardless of what you're working on or dreaming to create, there's probably a part of you wrestling with failure or the fear of failure. 
and that is most likely holding you back. I know it's holding me back. And I hope you'll use this conversation as an opportunity to reframe your experiences and allow failure to be educational instead of something to be avoided. I know for myself, it's the push I need as I continue to write and produce original content. What about you? Until next time, may creativity and curiosity fuel your life.